Psalm 139. He can't. He's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. All-powerful. And so when we talk about, you know, in, especially in Ephesians, where it says the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly, in the heavenly realms. That's the same power he gave us on the day of Pentecost. The exact same power. Not just a sliver of it, the power. So a lot of times we talk about covenant. It's one of those words that we use religiously or so, many, so much in, in, the, in the church that we kind of forget what a covenant really is. And all it is is a promise. We use it in our legal documents. I covenant this and this and this. You've ever read those in legal documents? And it's, it's just a, a promise. So the different covenants that, that God started with, he had a plan from the very beginning. It wasn't that he made the earth and, he, and Adam, oh, man, Adam fell. No, that's, that was part of the plan. Because now he had man to deal with. And so what, what happened with, with man from Adam forward and we all know what happened with, with uh, Adam, Noah, Abraham, the Palestinian, Moses. Every one of those, he made a covenant with those people, a promise. And with Adam, he, it was symbolized by the ground. With Noah, by the rainbow. He always made a promise that I'm never going to do that again. Always made a promise. The Palestinian, symbolized by the Sabbath. That's, how, that's what, he, what, what his covenant was with them. And, and Moses, we know, the two tablets of the law, another promise, and the Davidic covenant, Jerusalem itself. And not one of them did we not break. As man, and you know, omniscient, omnipotent, he knew that was going to happen. He knew that was going to happen. So Messiah Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, the new covenant by the Passover and the bread. So we go to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, and with the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. Has he taken us out of bondage? Yes. Was that the plan from the beginning? Yes. To take man out of bondage and bring us out of Egypt, as it were. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them that's internal not written on tablets not written on the wall not written on scrolls i will put my law within them and i will write it on their hearts this is jeremiah not ezekiel and not not isaiah and i will be their god and they will be my people and this is a promise he's making to himself that this is going to happen okay this is a promise he made, God has made to himself. Guess what? He's not going to break that promise just like Israel did all the rest of the times. And each man will no longer teach his neighbor and his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they will know through personal experience 
from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will no longer remember their sin. Why would he have to do that and make a promise to himself? Because the, the first six covenants were broken, and he knew that was going to happen. And we're going to talk about the seventh covenant here pretty quick. But in Ezekiel, and I've used this so many times. I love to use this. Ezekiel 36, 25, especially when we're at the prison and we're talking about being born again. We've talked many, many times about what does it really mean to be born again. And believe it or not, a lot of Christians don't, I didn't understand it my whole life. You just accept that born again means you receive Christ. That's it. And you explain it to you. Okay, are you saved? Yes. You're born again. Yes. What does born again mean? Uh, I receive Christ. But he's, when a few years ago and and I, I was reading Ezekiel 36. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. Isn't that repentance? Isn't that what he says in Second Chronicles 7.14? If my people who are called by my name will get on their face and humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. Well, it says here, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and your idols. Moreover, listen to this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. If you read the scripture, that's a small s, not a big s. When we say big s, that's the Holy Spirit. Small s is a human spirit. So when we're, and, and, and he explains that to Nicodemus, but he doesn't get it either because he forgot what Ezekiel said. When you get that new spirit, you're, you're truly... The Holy Spirit can't reach your, your human spirit, but he gives you a new one, and now the Holy Spirit can interact with it. That's being born again, isn't it? Don't you receive a spirit when you're conceived? Yes. So when we get that, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a new heart. I will put my spirit, big S, that means the Holy Spirit within us, and that's now it's possible for him to put the Holy Spirit within us and cause you to walk in my statute and you will keep my ordinances and do them. Sounds a lot like Jeremiah, doesn't it? Said the exact same. Isaiah says the same thing in other places. God was getting that message out to mankind. I'm going to change you. I got another covenant coming for you. I'm going to make you live differently. I'm going to give you the spirit that will make you hear me. You know, how many times have we, and, I, and I've said this, and, and I was preaching to the men's group, when we see the things going on in the world, we don't understand how can people think that way. I don't know how many genders we're up to, about 10 or 15, you know. It, it's, it's weird. You can't even keep up. But it's not just that. It's the corruption and the greed and the, and the evil that's going with that. As Christians... We think that's foolishness for them to believe that way. Well, when we start talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and, and studying the Bible, that's why they think it's foolishness. They don't understand it either. Just as strong as our foolishness is to them, their foolishness is to us. How do we cross that gulf? How do we contact someone who is believing the foolishness of the world when they think what we believe is made up and mythical and foolish. It says it in 2 Corinthians. 
it's foolishness to them. But we can't, we can't just do it by thumping the Bible and, and, and screaming at them and all that. Jesus gave us a real good secret. We're going to love them into the kingdom. You don't love them in there. That means you don't love the sin and you don't love what they're doing, but you love them enough to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them that the holy living God is going to ask you someday, why didn't you receive my son? And you got to tell them that. You got to say, you can't say I didn't know because I'm trying to tell you that right now. So what, that's part of what we're supposed to do when it says it. So the, the woman at the well, if you remember, it's not an accident that Jesus decided to walk on the other side of the Jordan up through Samaria and end up at Jacob's well. God had already told him what, what to do and how to get there and what, what was going to happen. And so, and that's the reason it's recorded so we know it so well because that's what God directed. He wanted us to know this story. And the woman at the well, and he talked about the water, sprinkling water. He says, Madam, give me a drink. He said, how are you going to get a drink? you got nothing to, to draw with. Besides, I'm a Samaritan. You're not supposed to be talking to me. He says, how are you going to drink water? She said, if you just knew the, wa- the living water I have for you, you would never thirst again. And so the conversation keeps going. And he says, I can give you this living water. And she says, I want some of that. He says, okay, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He says, I know. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. How's that living water? Well, the Holy Spirit enveloped her. Would she go tell the the townspeople, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done? That's not what he said. He said one thing. But the Holy Spirit then convicted her and showed her through her new heart, through her new spirit, what her life had been like. And the Holy Spirit was saying, see? And now she witnessed, and guess what? The whole town came out, and most of them gave their lives to Christ. The Samaritans. We know that story because God wanted that to be an example for us. Go out to the people who are foolish. Go out to the people who need to hear us. And I can go preach to Christians all day long, and you guys get it real quick. How about the guy out there who's on drugs? How about the guy that's in prison? How about the, the people who are believing all the foolishness that we're seeing? they got to hear it. And they got to hear it with love, and they got to hear it from us. Jesus showed us how to do that. He spent three years showing the disciples and training them. through. They had basic training for three years, actually, is what happened. If you've ever been through basic training, you realize it's pretty tough. And so he, he's, he tells them right at the end in John 14, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Well, if you're one of the disciples and you've watched him heal the sick and, and raise the dead and the blind are cured, you're going, really? I'm going to be able to do that? And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Disciples were just normal men, fishermen. I don't think they all believed it completely. Not when he said it right then. 
So he says, if you love me, keep my commands. This is John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And you've all heard this, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. What did I just talk about? We've got to share the truth with the world. We've got to love them with the truth. They've got to hear that Jesus loved them enough to go to the cross. We've got to be able to, to say that in such a way that they'll believe us. The spirit of truth. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. I've heard so many people say, I can't do that. I don't have that ability. I can't just walk up to people and start talking to them and, and tell them about Jesus. And you don't have to. It says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Say it again. Will remind you of everything I ever taught you. Will remind you of everything you ever read about me. Will remind you of everything you've ever experienced if when you've prayed and you had an infilling of the Holy Spirit and you get ready to open your mouth, it's going to happen. It happens a lot. If we have the courage to go do that. And that's what we've got to do, folks. That's what we've got to do. Jesus continued in 16. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. He told them what was going to happen. They're going to persecute you. You're going to get flogged. And, but these things I've told you that when that time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And I've said these things to you. Sorrow has filled my heart. You know, when he looked over Jerusalem and said, he wept over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings. But they rejected him. Part of the plan. Part of the plan. They knew, God knew, Holy Spirit knew, and Jesus knew that that was going to be part of the plan. And he told them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, if you're one of the disciples, I don't, you know, you're saying, I've seen you do all this. What helper? I've not seen the helper. I've seen you operate in it. You're God. You're the son of God. We're not the son of God. How are we going to be able to do that? How are we going to be able to operate like you operate? But he says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. We have to believe that. Now, say that again. When the Spirit of God is in us, He will guide us to all truth. We don't have to worry about what we're going to say. Is it right? Is it wrong? If you've got the Holy Spirit connected, you're going to say the right thing for that person at that time. How many times have you said something to a person and they went, oh, I didn't know that? And you say, I didn't know it either. Happens. The Holy Spirit gives you the words to say and the way to say it that it impacts them. He will guide you into all the truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. So when you have a word for someone, and I've had that happen several years back. Uh, one of the ladies in the church walked by, and, and God said, go tell her it's not her fault. I said, nope. <laughs> I'm not saying that to anybody. <laughs> happened five times before I said, okay. I said, second time I said, no, God, you're going to have to send a fax from heaven. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have the courage to get up and do that. And finally I did. I said, it's not your fault. And because of the circumstances, 
she was in, it just hit her heart, and she started crying. When it first happened to me a long, long time ago, I was on the road from Pampa to Oklahoma City. And if you've ever been out in Midland, you see one snowflake, you head for home <laughs> because it's going to snow, it's going to ice up. And I didn't make it. I'd make it all the way to pa- I was coming out of Pampa. And I was trying to get to Weatherford, and it iced up. And so I just got behind a truck and followed him on in. We pulled into this Love, Love's uh, gas station. I was just beat. It taking us five hours to get that far. And I, I just went and got myself a big old cup of coffee. And as I was sitting there drinking my coffee and just saying, what now, Lord? How am I going to get home? I had three hours of driving still to do, probably five with all the ice. And this bus pulled up. And everybody gets off and goes into the to the Love's truck stop. And this young girl, I don't know, now thinking back, she's probably 19 or 20, but she get off and she's holding a little baby and her eye was swollen shut and black. And I said, wow, that can't be good. I wonder what happened to her. And so I'm sitting there drinking my coffee and she goes in to use the phones and I see her standing there crying. And she's very, very dramatic and I was, man, it must be tough. And the Holy Spirit said, go give her $20. Right. I'm going to walk into a truck stop and offer a lady 20 bucks. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> and I sat there and argued with the Holy Spirit for about 20 minutes, and she had hung up the phone and gotten something to drink. So I went in, and I said, ma'am, you're not going to believe this, maybe, but God has told me to give you $20. She goes, I'm Catholic. I said, I don't care if you're Lutheran, Catholic, or Methodist. I'm supposed to give you 20 bucks. And I gave her 20 bucks, and she started crying. She said, I couldn't get home all the way to Oklahoma City to see my mom. I needed 20 more dollars for my ticket. From that point forward, I always did what the Holy Spirit said to do. You don't have to understand it. Just go do it. I didn't, exp- I didn't tell anybody that story for a lot of years. I didn't think anybody would believe it. But since that time, he's always given me the unction to give a waitress or somebody 20, 20 It's always $20. I don't know why, but that's just maybe... Like Jackson or something, I don't know. <laughs> but but th- that that's when he says he will tell you of things to come, tell you what you're going to do. And he will glorify him. Well, guess what? Jesus is in the garden, and he, and he's going to go pray, and he's and he knows what's coming. I mean, it's, it's been foretold, and he's if you've ever read Isaiah and, and Ezekiel, and he's going to pray, and he's on the on his knees, and he's crying. And I've heard a lot of people saying, well, that was the human side of him coming out. He was crying. And I said, no, this was the beginning of the beginning of the, of the blood covenant. He's crying and he's saying, God, take this cup from me. What cup? Well, in the Old Testament, they used cup as a, as a symbol of blessing or cursing. He said, God, take this cup from me. He said, nonetheless, not my will but yours. This is the cup of the final covenant. This is the final covenant for mankind. He's getting ready to go to the cross, give up his life with the blood, the blood covenant. And if you don't receive that, you receive eternal damnation. It's that simple. We receive eternal damnation when we don't receive the last covenant. And so does everybody out there. 
We have to, you know, as Pastor Goodluck taught me a long time ago, this, the, the hunger for souls is for that reason. We have to help people understand. This is eternal damnation. This is eternal. This is forever. You don't get a second chance. If you know somebody who is not saved, it's our responsibility to at least plant the seed. We don't have to bring them to salvation and disciple them and bring them up in, you know, the theology and all that. No, we just have to plant the seed and say, do you know Jesus? Well, you know what? This is what happened. This is why Jesus was in the garden crying for you. And when he goes to the cross, of course, we know everything that happened on the cross. But what's the last thing he says? It is finished. What's finished? The plan. The plan that started way back in the Garden of Eden came forward through all those wonderful stories. The exodus out of bondage. Wait a minute. What do Christians do when we were, were born again? We exit out of bondage and we start our own journey, don't we? Our own exodus, as it were. All these stories weren't by accident. They're not just historical things. God designed them for us to use to show other people and to tell them how it works. And how true it is. And how when we changed our life, now we're able to show you. I want you to, 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 to see what I've done. And people who knew me when I, before I was saved and then after I was saved said, what happened to you? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. I was on my knees in the barracks and I was praying. And I saw Jesus in my mind. And it's like I just went Ugh, like this. And when I stood up, I felt like I'd been, guess what? Born again. <laughs> I had received a new spirit. And from that day forward, and I didn't know it, but there's a guy, my sweet mate, he was at Green Beret, and he, was, he had been praying. He's a real strong Christian man, Mike Vinson out in California. <laughs> I call him all the time. He had been praying for 12 guys to be transferred in so we could have our own little group. I transferred in, and right after me, ten more guys transferred in within two weeks. We formed our own our own Christian study group, and it lasted for about six months. And he was just amazed. He said, "How'd you? What? Why did you guys apply for here? They don't apply for here. This really sent me. Well, now we know why. But he was. We were. We've got to get together to begin to spread the word to other other guys who were in our our situation." So after, after Christ was raised, when he goes into, and he said, before he left, remember he said, peace I leave you with, not the peace that the world has, but my peace. I'm going to leave you with my peace. I don't think the disciples knew what that meant yet. Because the peace of the world means there's lack of conflict. That's all that means. There's lack of, there's lack of stress, lack of, of distress. His peace, far above exceeds anything we've ever known until we experience that that peace in the presence of of heartache in the presence of death in the presence talking about my my father my brother when when my brother was on his last breaths i was in the in the in the uh, room with him in the hospital and i grabbed his hand and i said greg you know the lord he goes yeah he said you really dedicated yourself lately he said no he rededicated himself to the Lord, spoke in tongues, and the next day went to heaven. I never grieved one time about him. 
He is so much healed now. So when that when those kind of things happen, we know that God is in it. God has to be in it for us to I can't just walk out and make that stuff happen. Neither can you, but we can do it with God leading us. So when when the, when the day of Pentecost comes and Peter bless his heart had he kind of struggled a little bit through his, through his indoctrination and all that. But when the when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit is poured out and 3000 people come to Christ. 3000 and they say they're speaking in different languages. How do we understand them? Well, I think they were speaking in tongues, but they were hearing through an interpretation spirit. So they thought it was their own language. But it when that is poured out, it says in Joel, and this is what Peter said to him. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What happens after you, 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 now we know what the Holy Spirit is. There's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We receive it. Now there's gifts of the Holy Spirit that come from that. That's the practice of the Holy Spirit, right? We start asking and, and seeking, what, what's, what are my gifts? Lord, have you given me a gift? What is it? And the fruits of the Spirit, my favorite. The fruits come from trying to do the other two. And by living through the word. And the fruits, and we all know what the fruits are. Joy, love, peace, patience. And my favorite, self-control. I think that one should be first. <laughs> if you get self-control, you probably got the rest of them dead, right? But in Romans, when it says life through, and I'm not going to go through all of Romans. It, you can spend, the, my, my, my friend Wayne Henneke, I think he spent his whole career on Romans 8. <laughs> Because he'd, he'd get one scripture and just preach for, for the whole Sunday school. But it says, there's no condemnation in Christ. We've heard that so, so many times. He sets you free from the law of sin. But in this, from between the first scripture and the ninth one, he talks about the flesh. He mentions it ten times in those ten scriptures. And I never noticed it before I started reading for this. And I said, Wow. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The reason Jesus came was to conquer the flesh. We've got to get over that. And that's what people out there have not done. That's why they're, the philosophers of today are foolish. And, and it says that in the Bible. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Right? We live in the world of flesh. We live in this world. How do we not get contaminated by it? By the Holy Spirit, by the prayers, by the understanding covenant words. How many times have we heard that that said, when I speak covenant words, God hears his own words and answers? He does. He he, He said that. I didn't. He says that in his word. When we speak a covenant word, God hears the word. You know, I've used the example many times, laying on my face and just crying out to God and telling him about everything that's going wrong. I can't make my house payment. I can't make my car payment. I'm sick and my kids are this and that. And he's just standing there rolling his eyes. Yeah, I know. I know all the things. Get to the promise. I went, oh, 
So I stood up and said, Father God, you are my, you are my Savior. You are the light of the world. You are the world that I need to walk in. And so when we do that, we understand that we, the, the, and, and the, the Sunday school lesson this last week, I'm going to, I'm going to, I did, I got kind of interrupted because we got kind of crowded, but I was so impressed by the way when the Hebrew talks about faith, it's an action verb. When the Greeks talk about faith, it's a noun. And I never thought about that before. I said, wow. So when, when, when in the Hebrew, when it's written faith, that means something is going to happen. In the Greek, faith is a thing. Well, everything was written in the Hebrew, and it was translated into Greek, and that's where we get our mindset for, for, the, for the centeredness on mankind, the selfishness. We're self-centered on, on us because we've been taught that. Think about everything we experience in life. Isn't it about us? Everything. Well, that's the way the world operates. And we have to set ourselves apart from that. We have to do it consciously. We have to say, I'm not going to continue to do this. I'm not going to continue to do this. I said I'm not going to continue to do this. <laughs> have you ever been through it like I have? <sighs> and so I'll try again tomorrow. But you got, you've got to have that. You've got to say, this is what I want. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. What peace? The peace that governs our mind and governs our heart, governs, governs our soul. That's what it says. We have the, the peace of God. How do you get peace when you're, when you're upset about something or your, your bills or you're grieving or whatever it is? How do you get peace in that, that kind of time? Well, it says those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I think if we get to a point where we're saying things and doing things that God hears his covenant words, the peace comes. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a personal thing. The peace comes to us. And when we have the peace, then we can help other people understand that peace. It's, it's very simple and very difficult at the same time because we still battle the flesh no matter what. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are, we are the children of God. It says that. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The veil was split. We can go into the throne room. We can sit there and say, I am co-heirs with Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. Michael West does it. The Spirit-filled Michael West does we know that whole creation has been groaning, this is in Romans, and as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we don't, we, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. In John 11:33, Jesus is standing at the Lazarus grave, and he sees Mary and Martha, and they're they're weeping. And it says in the spirit, and he groaned in his spirit. Same thing. 
I call that speaking in tongues. And he who searches our hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit, because of the Spirit, intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Because the Spirit intercedes for us, and we have the Holy Spirit, and Jesus and God gave us the Holy Spirit, it's kind of a full circle thing. What gets in the way? Flesh. Ah, God isn't going to hear me. No, not, not like that. He's not. Get on your face. You get it. Get on your face. You'll understand it. So, I'm running out of time here. So, I love in Ephesians where it says that he prays that our heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of glorious inheritance. We've all read this a lot. But listen to this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Wait a minute. The, the incomparably great power for us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead? That's what it's written right there. I didn't, I didn't make that up, and that's not something that, that a lot of churches believe. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and domains. Guess what? We have access to that. All we have to do is just do it. Make sense? Look at the end here. Father God, we thank you for your words tonight. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit on this church. As we go forward, Father, and we win souls and we plant churches, Father, we're going to do that because that's what you have told us to do, Father. In your word, you said, go forth into all the world and preach the gospel. We thank you for that knowledge, that wisdom, and that searching. In your name we pray. Amen.